Good morning. We've been waiting for this one. We finally get to talk about the beautiful game. Andrew Wiebe is waiting on the phone lines with us right now, live from Brazil right now. Andrew, how you doing? It's going good, guys. How you doing? Doing excellent. You posted up by the pool right now and soaking in the sun? Yeah, a little, little bit of pool action right now. I uh, just got done with U.S. training this morning, their final availability before they head off uh, to Natal, and, and obviously all the talk about that penalty kick last night in the opener. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you had a chance to ingest that Brazil-Croatia game yesterday. Uh, i got to ask you about the atmosphere down there. After all the riots, the chaos, the debate over whether or not the, the money is being wasted down there, uh, yesterday was finally about soccer. How, if at all, has the attitude of the Brazilian people sort of changed now that the games are underway and it is about soccer? Now, yeah, look, I, I can't speak for, obviously, the, the Brazilian people, but what I will say is that here in Sao Paulo, a massive city by every single definition, really before the match, you didn't see a ton of the hype. You didn't see the pageantry. You didn't see all those things that, that I think people that, that look at Brazil expect to see. But on Thursday, when you got on the subways, it was absolutely, the, the whole city just absolutely saturated in yellow. Now, it was a partial holiday declared by the government here, because before that, the traffic was absolutely ridiculous, just choking the entire city. The streets are, were clear yesterday. Everybody, one focus, that's Brazil, that's the match, of course, against Croatia. We got on the, the subway, actually, the, the massive media group that's here, and, and went the whole way. There was some singing on the subway. As many, everybody's wearing the jersey. I mean, you cannot get away from that. And then once you get to the stadium, uh, Arena de Sao Paulo, an absolute crush of people. Just a, an outdoor party that, that I think uh, would rival any in the world. One of the most special things I've ever been a part of. But uh, once you get in the stadium, once it's all going on, you know, of course, they love their team. They love the Celical. An interesting note, though, they score, and then they go to a picture of the president on the Jumbotron. <laughs> and then the chance, the chance start, and there's pretty much saying, "Hey, President, stick it where the sun doesn't shine." <laughs> and so you you still get that, you still get that kind of political nature. That's not to be escaped. But there's no doubt the people here are 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 excited about things starting. But on another note, on the red line, which is what the stadium is on, just a few stops down earlier in the day, there were clashes with protesters. As much as soccer is going to to be in the headlines, I just don't think you're going to get away from those, some of those social issues that still do plague the country and are, are, to be perfectly honest with you, still in plain sight when you walk around, when you take the bus around, when you take the subway. Well, Andrew, a team that you can't speak on, you can't speak for the Brazilian people, but you can speak for this U.S. men's national team. Uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, he made headlines earlier this week by saying winning the World Cup is not realistic. What, what's your thought on this? Why do you think he went this route rather than sort of setting that lofty expectation and saying, yeah, we're here to win and do nothing else? Look, Jurgen Klinsmann has lived in the U.S. for a long time now, but at, at his core, he's still a German, and, and I think that's just part of his personality and part of the way that, that they approach things. He's going to be blunt, and, and if I'm being honest with you, there's no way the, the U.S. wins the World Cup. Is it possible? Of course it's possible. I think what people were, were upset about and what people called un-American was that, you know, he kind of didn't temper expectations. He didn't say, look, we know that we're not a favorite. We know that our chances of winning this World Cup are, are pretty much slim to none. But that doesn't mean that that's not, in the end, our goal. And who knows? Crazier things have happened. You look at Greece in the, 20, in the 2004 Euros. You know, I'm sure before the tournament they weren't coming out and saying, hey, we're going to win this thing. That's our goal. And, and the U.S. won't do the same. But 
interestingly enough, I talked to Josie Altidore about this in, uh, in the days after that, and he said, hey, until we've done it, until we've actually gone out and made a splash and been in a final or won a World Cup, who are we to say before the tournament's even started that we're going to do it? So, you know, group of deaths, first things first, they've got to get a win against Ghana or, or maybe a draw or, you know, hey, perhaps a, tie, a loss would do it if they, if they surprise the world against Portugal and Germany. But they've got to get it done in the group stage before they can get ahead of themselves. Andrew Wiebe is our guest. He joins us via the ICB hotline. You can check him out on Twitter at Andrew underscore Wiebe. Also check out his work as he's live from Brazil on MLSsoccer.com. Speaking of that group stage, Andrew, most people believe you have to beat Ghana. You have to win that first one to have any chance because two beasts are awaiting you in Portugal and Germany in the second and third game, respectively. Most have conceded that Germany, the Germany match is probably a loss, but the tide has sort of turned a little bit with rumors that Ronaldo has been battling an injury. He walked off from training with ice yesterday. Uh, I, I saw a tweet the other day, and, and this has been going around uh, throughout the soccer realm, Portugal being called Ronaldo and 10 other men. So say he is not able to be in the lineup or say he is hobbled and sort of limited. How does that sort of change the complexion of this matchup uh, with Portugal if he's not potentially at full strength? Well, I mean, this is a guy that, that I think you'd have to say is the best player in the world over the last year. The other thing you'd have to say is that he's maybe the most taxed player in the world is from a physical perspective. So that plays the U.S. advantage. Anytime you can get him off the field or off his game, that's going to work well for them. We've seen throughout qualifying, throughout a lot of these games leading up to the World Cup, that the outside back positions really are perhaps the most shaky spot in the U.S. lineup. Now, they're starting to be a little bit more nailed down. We see Fabian Johnson at right back, and, and I think the expectation is certainly that he'll play there in this tournament. Left back a little bit different, but the U.S. wants to get forward, and they want to push whoever are on those wings for Portugal. They want to make them defend in addition to having those attacking responsibilities. If they can do that, if they can make Ronaldo have to be an active participant and not just focus on one side of the ball, they have a great chance. Now, I don't think it's ten other guys. Their ten other guys are world-class. Their ten <laughs> other guys can make a difference in the game. I agree. That, that without Cristiano Ronaldo, the U.S. Is, is in a position to get something done. Sure, it'll be, it'll be easier if that happens, but let's not get ahead of ourselves uh, in that sense. Uh, it'll be a tough match no matter what happens, but an interesting thing coming out of Brazil right now, and I'm not sure if you guys have seen this, but that match to be played pretty much in the Amazon, right at the mouth of the Amazon in, Manu in Manus. The big news right now is about the surface there, and to be frank, it is not good. Even the groundskeeper is saying this thing is questionable. England having a lot of question marks about it as well as they approach their match there. So that could actually be something that, that the U.S. could use to their advantage. Can they turn it into a match where it's not a track meet, where, you know, if, he, if he's healthy, Ronaldo and Nani can't get up and down and really test that U.S. back line? If it plays slow and it comes down to set pieces and a couple bounces, you have to imagine that the U.S. will take their chances in that situation. I think I saw a picture that you tweeted out um, a couple of days ago about the surface there. It looked like a little bit of dead grass. Definitely not the best surface. Definitely not a world-class surface down there. But you talk about the the, uh, the attacking style of Jurgen Klinsmann. I think definitely the biggest difference that I've seen from watching this team uh, from the time that Bob Bradley was at the helm and now that Klinsmann is at the helm, definitely more of an attacking, more of an aggressive style up top. Two straight World Cups, forwards, still a scoreless streak. Um, as, as far as goals are concerned, there have also been questions on the back line at center back. But if you can pinpoint one concern heading into Monday for this U.S. team, what is it? 
I just think it's that this team has it, at least in their send-off series games, the three, of course, they played here in the U.S., they haven't played a consistent uh, formation. They've just jumped into this diamond, it seems like, since the Mexico game uh, earlier this year. Will they have the cohesion? Will they know their roles? Will they know where the other guys are on the field when it comes down to 270 minutes that, you know, no matter what anybody else says is the way that this team is going to be judged. You can do whatever you want before the World Cup, but this is when it really matters. This is when people, the casual fans, especially in the United States, take something away from it. So I, I'm concerned about whether or not this team, from a tactical perspective, can be cohesive enough to be turned on for 90 minutes. Because, look, if one guy forgets where he has to be or one guy gets out of position or somebody makes a, a risky challenge in the wrong part of the field, it could be all be over for the U.S. before they know it. I think the big key on all this, then, is the central midfield. Who's going to play in there? We saw against Nigeria that Jurgen Klinsmann finally put Kyle Beckerman as the anchor in the midfield, the guy that holds on to all the defensive responsibilities and really freed Michael Bradley completely. Jermaine Jones also in the, in the team, and I don't think there's any chance he won't be. But to me, that's, that's the key. What will Michael Bradley's role be, and how will everybody else react to that? Because he's the most creative player, the best chance creator in the midfield. He's the guy that Josie Altidore and Clint Dempsey, the two that are going to have to shoulder that goal-scoring load, he's the guy they're going to rely on. So if he can get free, if he can be able to pressure the ball half the field, win the ball in some good spots, make some passes that we know he can, and perhaps even score a goal, that's when the U.S. is going to be the most successful. He's the man to watch. Well, all the fun for the U.S. starts right here at 5 o'clock local time down in Brazil for the U.S. men's national team as they take on Ghana in the group stage. Our guest and on the beat for MLSsoccer.com joining us via the ICB hotline right now is Andrew Wiebe. Moving away from the pitch a little bit, looking ahead to future World Cups. This came out yesterday. Uh, FIFA now investigating Russia and Qatar for bribery uh, and securing the 2018 and 22 or 2022 World Cup bids, I should say. FIFA notified U.S. soccer to be ready for the 2020 World Cup if Qatar loses out. What exactly, uh, from from your uh, reading up on this, does it mean to be ready? Does that mean that if Qatar loses out, it's definitely the U.S., or does that mean that the U.S. has to go through the entire bidding process again? Look, I don't. If anybody who says they have any idea what's going to happen in 2022 is is, is lying, in my opinion. But <laughs> here's here's what happened. That news came out. And it was immediately debunked by U.S. soccer president Sunil Gulati. That, that report, you know, saying, hey, the U.S. has been contacted, he said, that's hogwash. We have not been contacted. That has not happened. He has been on record multiple times saying he does not think that that is going to be, uh, that, that Qatar will lose that tournament. Of course, a ton can happen in eight years. And like I said, don't go betting on anybody who's, who feels sure about 2022. But for the U.S. To, to be in a position to say we've got to be prepared right now and that they've been contacted, I don't think there's a shred of truth, truth in that. The nice thing, if, if you're a person who wants to see it in the U.S., and I think just about anybody who lives there would, would love to see that and have that opportunity, uh, is that we have the facilities. We have ready-made facilities that can do it. We have the infrastructure. We have the airports. We have the hotels. We have everything you need to put on a record-setting tournament. Remember that 1994 tournament, still the most successful of all time from a spectator perspective. If the U.S. is called upon, they'll be in a great position to do it. But you have to imagine, if, if in fact Qatar loses out on that, the entire world is going to be battling for that one. So it'll be stiff competition. Well, that's definitely something that I've talked about before, is that we have college football stadiums, we have, you know, stadiums that hold 85,000 people so definitely more equipped we don't have to tear down rainforests like they're doing in brazil but looking at the possibility of the world cup being in america 
about three decades later, if it were to be in 2022, since the last time the U.S. hosted it, soccer still not completely embraced as much as it is across across the pond and down south as well. But if it were to be hosted in America, what do you think that would do as far as fan following for soccer, uh, as far as Americans are concerned? I think it would be massive, but I also think that, that this country has taken massive steps in that direction regardless. You look at our, abil- our, our ability to watch the game, Americans have it better on a global scale than just about anywhere else. We, get, we have all the rights. We get all the games. You know, some are difficult to watch. You look at Germany, you look at other places, but we have all that. And we have, you know, of course, I work for MLSsoccer.com, but we have a league that's growing at a pretty rapid pace. You look at all the expansion that's going into it. No, it's not where the NFL is, but nobody is. Absolutely nobody's where the NFL right. is. They're the ones that everybody's shooting to be. So you look at those eight years and you look at the money being invested in soccer by Major League Soccer, by U.S. Soccer, by the different television and broadcast networks in the U.S., and I think if you look at those investments, you have to say, business people that are more intelligent than I am as far as sports rights and growing these things are putting their money where their mouth is, and that's a great, great sign if you're a soccer fan in the U.S. The more I remember a few years ago, I couldn't even find a place to watch games. I couldn't, you know, if I, if I met people at a party, they'd have no idea what I was talking about. But in the last five years especially, I'd say, you're starting to see the young people of this country, the, the people that will be the next generation of consumers, the people that will drive things forward, really start to pick up on it, really start to love the international nature of it, really start to, to love the fact that, Hell, even we don't have to sit around and wait for commercial breaks. The game itself is, is, a, is a great product in itself. I think it's only going up, and, and, and I certainly can't wait to see what happens in, in the next 10 years. I absolutely agree. I remember in 2010, I had to beg my friends to let me turn on the World Cup and to let me watch soccer, but now there are all sorts of options. We're trying to decide. We're going downtown Chicago. We're going to try to figure out uh, one of three places to go. I mean, Grant Park is having a showing of the U.S. game on Monday. Uh, a couple other sports bars that show the Premier League usually are also showing the World Cup game. So definitely, not only nationally, but I, I've noticed also in my inner circle that, that that's sort of uh, uh, something that's been on the rise as well. But Andrew, you're in there. You're down there soaking up the sun. It's also sort of a business trip, but, but you're, you're getting a chance to enjoy yourself, it sounds like, outside of soccer while you're down there in Brazil. Is there one bucket list item that you hope to cross off before the tournament is over? Well, it's uh, it would be Rio de Janeiro, but you know I, I'm not currently scheduled to go there, so <laughs> you know, my only chance, my only chance is if the U.S. makes the final. So hey, that that would be the bucket list. Uh, I personally, you know, this afternoon I got some work to grind on, as we all do down here. But my hope is to make it uh, to some sort of outdoor bar, some sort of outdoor street party, something where you can just interact with with the, the people of Brazil. I mean, I think for me, that's, that's the most interesting part. This is a country of 200 million people. It's a diverse country. It's got all sorts of things, anything you could possibly ask for. Uh, I'm definitely interested to, to talk to the people on the ground, the people that are actually the ones that, that are maybe making the sacrifices to make this thing happen. And then, of course, you know, hey, I'm from Kansas, so I'm, I want to get to the beach. I'm a little bit scared in a sea bay. <laughs> Lots of sharks, lots of sharks there, but I'm going to take a dip and, uh, and take my chance. Yeah, well, we're definitely jealous for, uh, of you here in Chicago, but sounds like you're having a great time. We'll look out for your work. Again, follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew underscore Weeby and follow his work at MLSsoccer.com. Andrew, enjoy your time down there. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.